0: Take the time today to recognize your holy. Lord, that I was a sinner on my way to hell, and right before I died, you cleansed my lips and saved me by the redeeming grace of Jesus. Father, and I thank you that on the day that you redeemed my soul, that all of heaven shook, the pillars shook. God, and the angels begin to cry, you're holy, holy, holy. Or and forever we're going to cry, you're holy, holy, holy. I thank you, Father. God, I pray that as we transition into your word, Lord, that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to what you would say this morning. Father, I pray that I simply be a vessel, that your message and your word would go forth. Father, and I pray that it fall on fertile soil. God, that you touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. There's something about The way that we can sing those songs of worship. Specifically those two. And even the, the revelation song we sing. It connects like it connects us with heaven. And we fail sometimes to realize that we're joining in the angels' choir with all creation to sing holy, holy, holy. And our flesh and our human mind would want to tell us this is boring and why are we singing this over and over and over, but we're joining in the choir of angels as they circle around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. There's power in that. Amen. I don't ever want to miss an opportunity, sure enough, to join in the choir of angels. Amen. If you would please turn with me to the the letter of the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. I hit on this verse very briefly last week as I started this conversation, thanks and giving. And the idea of having a thankful heart leading to a life of generosity, leading leading to a life of giving. And I told you that the the thankful heart uh, leading to the generous life wasn't necessarily... um, it didn't necessarily have to be a monetary gift, but it's if we're thankful and we understand who God truly is within us, we understand what He really has done for us, then our life would naturally be a life of giving, giving ourselves, giving our time, giving our talents, giving our, even our emotions and, and all these different things. Our life would be a life that would be selfless rather than many times what it would be selfish. And when we turn our heart to this gratitude, when our heart begins to shift and twist to this heart of thankfulness, then our life changes. We've got a cricket chirping. Cricket chirping. He agrees. He's thankful. I hate to tell you, but if you don't cry, holy, 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 that cricket, sure enough, he is. I told you last week that... um, we, we talked about the ten lepers, and I told you that there was one that turned back and went back to Jesus whenever he realized he had been healed. That there's a point you've got to recognize that something has taken place in your life. You have to understand that something's different. Wake up and realize that something has changed. Then once you recognize that there has been a change, you have to remember who it was that spoke that authority, who spoke that life into you. The man went back to Jesus. He realized he was much different than the other nine. When he got back, I told you that Jesus said, well, wasn't, there, wasn't there 10 healed? Where's the other nine? And when what happened was he remembered what authority had been spoken over him. He remembered where his blessing had come from. And then he went back and he fell at Jesus' feet. And I told you that the difference between him the first time he met Jesus and the second time he met Jesus was if you read, Scripture says that the ten lepers stood afar off. They were at a distance when they cried out, shouting out to Jesus. But after he received that healing, he came back and he fell literally at Jesus' feet with a heart of thanksgiving. The grateful heart, the thankful heart, literally brings us to Jesus' feet, literally brings us to a place where where we were not once at, we were once so far off, and the grateful, thankful heart brings us closer to Him. I told you that that is a process that has to be repeated. So today I want to tell you just a little bit. We're going to break down this this three verses of Scripture that I know that you've heard, you've, you've read, and I know that we could probably roll them off of our tongue so simply, But more times than not, we read it as words on the page and we forget to take it as a lifestyle. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's really interesting to me that this is three verses of scripture, but it's one sentence. And we know that the verses and chapters were done later after this letter was written. But the the person that sat down and broke this up saw enough in this that rejoice always was important enough by itself to be one verse. You got it? Not only that, but then pray without ceasing was important enough to stand by itself and be verse 17. And then verse 18 concludes with, In everything give thanks for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus for you. So these three very important challenges obviously have some significance. They had some significance to Paul when he's writing to this church at Thessalonica. Later down the road after the Bible has been published and the letters have been gone through, there's some importance to each one of these so that they were broken down into particular verses. They have their own message, their own meaning within each one of them. So we're just going to break them down. We're just going to look at them, and we're going to look at Rejoice. People don't always understand why you and I, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, why we have the joy that we have. They look at us and they say, you realize that, you know, you're dealing with this stuff or or maybe you don't have this or you don't have that or don't you realize that you just lost so and so and and you're dealing with this stuff and they look at us and they, they don't understand where our joy comes from. And this church that Paul's writing to, the church at Thessalonica, they're they're dealing with the same thing. They had no reason to be a a people of joy. They had no reason to be this celebratory, this people that really were glad about anything. And you and I, we've been talking uh, very specifically on Wednesday nights, I believe, about us being sojourners, us being foreigners in this land that we're living in, and Uh, Peter talked about it in his first letter he's talking to this group of people that were scattered and they're, they're in places that they're not comfortable they're in places they're not used to you and I when we accepted Christ we're now immersed in a culture that we really don't belong in we now belong when we accepted Christ when we accepted that salvation and we one day are going to receive our inheritance we belong in the culture that resembles heaven amen maybe not you but I sure do we belong there. We don't belong here. And so this church at Thessalonica, they, they have nothing really to be joyful about. And we resemble them because we're here and you can look all around you. Sister Carolyn came in this morning and said that three people had died within like a two-hour period yesterday in Fayetteville in, in car wrecks. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, there's death. There's trouble. There's, there's complete evil. There's utter chaos. The culture that we live in is rough. And we look around and people look at us and, and, and we lose somebody that we love. And the first question that they want to ask you or the, maybe the question we want to ask is why, God, did you let this happen? The question they want to look at you and say, how can you serve a God that let this happen? It's not normal for us to have the joy that we have. It's not normal. To rejoice always means that our life literally would be, I tried to put a definition to rejoice, and it's the act of joying, I guess. So um, if that makes any sense at all, it does to me. But I kind of picture rejoicing as exploding or letting your cup run over of joy. I don't mean that I walk around shouting and singing praises all the time, but it means that the true joy of Christ is in my life enough that my day-to-day journey It's seen throughout everything that I do. Amen? You with me? We don't rejoice because of our circumstances. We rejoice because of the grace God's given us. He tells us to, Paul tells us to rejoice always. Rejoice always. You ever have them days when you're just kind of in a funk? Huh? Huh? I know it ain't just me. Them days you kind of get in the funk, and maybe you even put on a smile for everybody else, and then you finally make it home, and whoever just happens to be in your house don't get the smile. i just being real. Ain't no reason to beat around the bush. We're human, right? And what happens is, If the Spirit's working within our life, the the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy. That's interesting that it comes right behind love. It's like the second most important, if they had a level of importance. It's it's right behind the love that that the Spirit builds up inside of us. Joy should be there. So you and I, when we accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit came in and He's residing within us. And and if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you should be overflowing. Your cup should just be bursting with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and so the Holy Spirit naturally as Christians, our life should produce joy. So what happens? Why don't I walk around all the time bubbly? How do I have days where I get into a funk? How is it that I walk in the house and my face goes? Because your flesh doesn't want you to have joy. It's not It's not natural. The joy comes from the Holy Spirit. So our natural bodies were not created to be joyful beings. Some people just have that beautiful natural smile, and it's absolutely amazing. Mitchell's not one of them. If I'm smiling at you, it is very intentional. And I was taught in my short-term career at bb and that I smile at people Whether I like it or not, if I got a headache, if I don't feel good, if I'm aggravated, if I'm hungry, it don't matter what it is, put a smile on your face and put the people in front of you to be most important. The corporate world understands that. And I had to practice self-control to put my client right in front of me at the forefront of my mind and show them the utmost joy, the utmost happiness, the utmost respect. Little old lady telling me that she is, she's mad because this, 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 you charge this to my account. And I still have to look at her and smile, ma'am, I'm so sorry. How can I make it better for you? Drilled in our brain, you go to Chick-fil-A, and I love our three wonderful Chick-fil-A employees. If you get them to do something for you, and you say thank you in this church, they'll look at you and say, my pleasure. You know good enough, well, I want their pleasure. It's been drilled inside of them to do this. And they do it with a smile on their face. The corporate world understands that we have to to control our emotions. We have to control the facial expression that we have to put a smile on it and present happiness. The Holy Spirit has wired us. He's producing fruit. If you're allowing the Spirit to work in your life, then naturally there should be joy overflowing out of you. The deal is we allow, our self, we, we allow our flesh to rise up and rather than practicing the self-control to push flesh back down and allow joy to come up. We did it when we worked for BB&T and we put a smile on our face to, to deal with them little people. And it was our pleasure to hand somebody a chicken sandwich they really didn't order, but they wanted anyway. It, it's our pleasure in those situations. But we won't control ourselves to allow the spirit, the, the spirit to push up the joy to come out of our life when it's not comfortable for us. And so it stems back to this self-control issue. It stems back to something that's deeper. Because joy is naturally within us now because we belong to Christ. So if we walk around with a sour face and we walk around with a sour attitude, it ain't nobody's fault but mine. And it's not because the joy is not within me. It's because I'm not controlling self and making self shut up and shut down so that the Holy Spirit can push through and come out. And Paul said rejoice always. It was a command. I don't know how you feel about it, but I take the words of this book to be literal. I do my best to rightly divide the word and I read it in context and I read it to be what it is and I believe that when Paul said rejoice always, it was straight out of the mouth of God as the command to be joyful. Amen? He said be joyful. Rejoice always. We rejoice because of the grace. And when we will step back and think... Sometimes not with our emotions. Sometimes not even really with your heartstrings. But you step back and use your brain, knowing what you do know, knowing what this word has told us. There's no reason our life shouldn't be full of joy. John said in chapter 16, he said, Therefore, now you have sorrow. But I'll see you again, and you will have joy, and no one will take it from you. That was actually John recording the words of Jesus. I'm looking forward to the great inheritance that we've talked about several weeks ago, that, that inheritance that's incorruptible, that's above change and, and decay. I'm appreciative of the power that is within the name of Jesus, that I can speak over situations, I can speak over death and resurrect it to life. Joy is within us. The question is, do we depress it down? So he goes on. He says, rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing. Well, for something to cease, it means that it stops. It means that it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't go forward anymore. One writer said, pray without prayerless gaps. That's an interesting way to put it. Pray without prayerless gaps. Somebody was asked one day, this, this man of God that had uh, won all these people to the Lord, and they said, hey, how many times a day do you pray? He said, one. What do you mean you only pray one time a day? He said, well, when I wake up in the morning, it starts. And it usually don't end until I go to bed at night. And Paul's telling this group of people, pray. We've got this idea of this systematic prayer, and we have prayers that we pray for for different things, and those are great prayers of blessing and uh, prayers of thanksgiving and all these different prayers. But the life that Paul's talking about, what Paul is describing is not even necessarily words audibly coming out of our mouth. He's saying, live a life that your heart is in in a place of prayer all the time, continually, without stopping. Constant communication. One writer said, it's not the moving of the lips, but the elevation of the heart to God that brings the blessing. Well, yes and no. I can't walk through my day-to-day life all the time audibly praying to the Lord. People, you know, they put people in facilities for that walking around talking to yourself all the time and i do it a lot of times could you imagine if I was standing there you think about it you stand there talking to the lady at Walmart the cashier and sir so and so and so and say lord you need to help me deal with this lady right now before i just have a come apart i don't know what i'm going to do ma'am I don't know what to tell you. Sarah so-and-so says, Lord, you got to handle this situation. Imagine how interesting that would be. He says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It literally means pray without stopping. I believe that the enemy has put so many things in our path. I'm not over spiritualizing. I'm not trying to give him credit for anything at all. I'm just saying life is busy, and if the enemy could get our mind at all away from our focus on God, he's accomplished his goal. Sure, he come to steal, kill, and destroy, but it don't mean that he has to literally put a bullet in you to kill you. All he have to do is all he has to do is take you away from your lifeline. From the life source. God ain't going nowhere. He can't touch the Father. He can't move the life source. So all he can do is move you and me and disconnect us from the life source. And so whenever he is successful on changing my my thoughts and my processes, making me mad and somebody telling me my pleasure and I know good enough well it ain't their pleasure and I'm frustrated and they're frustrated, whatever it may be. When, when the enemy puts something in my path to distract me that changes my thought process, he succeeded. The second my focus, my attention, I'm not talking about walking around all day, every day, Lord, what you want me to do right this, where's the next step, God, where's the next step? I'm not talking about that. We have lives to live. We, we can't walk every single step asking God, Where are we going? You walk knowing that your steps have been ordered and you're walking in obedience. You're in tune with the Holy Spirit, following that leading, that nudging. But when we separate ourselves from the life source, we don't no longer have a leading and a nudging. And Paul says, Pray continuously, don't stop. And the writer said, it's not necessarily the words that are coming off your mouth, but it's the elevation of your heart. It's the heart of prayer that we walk with constantly. What's interesting is if we walk around with a heart of prayer, if we walk around, I don't care if people think we're talking to ourselves, if we're audibly playing, praying from sunup to sundown, you think about it, and you tell me if I'm wrong. If you're living a life of prayer, why in the world wouldn't you rejoice always? If you're in constant connection with the life source, and he's constantly pumping blood, life blood through your veins. He's constantly pumping the authority to step on, on the enemy, to, to move mountains, to do what you need to do throughout your day to day. He's constantly do-doom, bo-boom pumping that life blood inside of you. Why how would we not live a rejoiceful life? When we pray without ceasing, we rejoice always. Even when we don't have the words on our lips, the spirit of prayer should be in our heart always. He said, Rejoice, pray. And then he says, Give thanks. Now, this is interesting because if we're not careful, we lose it right here. Can you throw that verse of scripture actually back up, please? What's this word? Huh? Is it for? It's in. God doesn't tell us to give thanks for everything. That would be a big pill to swallow. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be thankful when I have to go through a sorrowful situation. I hope that I learn lessons on the outside and I believe that if you look back, you can figure out something that you gain from every season. And I'll be thankful for whatever it is that I learned. I have a hard time being thankful for the heartache to get through the season. And I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that he didn't say, be thankful for everything. For everything, give thanks. Sometimes life just happens. Sometimes we're put through situations because God knows we can handle them. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, look at Job. It sure enough don't make sense that the devil would walk around and say, he's prowling looking for somebody, and God would specifically call out, have you considered my servant Job? It's not that the devil wanted to attack him and God finally let down his defense. He looked at him and said, my man's strong enough. Have you considered him? And he lost everything he had. He lost his family. He lost his livelihood. He he lost his home. His body was beat and bruised by the boils and the disease that struck him. Why did God allow that to happen to him? Ask him when you get to heaven. The result was, everything was restored back to Job beyond what it was in the beginning. But that season he had to go through this is pretty messed up, but it was a season that he went through because of his faithfulness, not because of his lack of faith. One man said, If I know that I'm not in a season of trial and I'm not struggling, I'll go fall on my face and repent. When I'm struggling and I'm dealing with junk, I lift my hands to the Lord and I'm thankful because I know I'm making a difference. But when there's not something going on in life, you better check yourself. Because you obviously ain't a threat to the enemy if he ain't jumping down your throat. But he doesn't say for everything give thanks. He says in everything give thanks. Okay, so rejoice always. Always would be a series of time. Correct? All the time. Praying without ceasing, Without ceasing, that word would be a series of time. The, the Greek language actually for that, um, it's kind of interesting. The same word that they use without ceasing or continually is the same word they use for a hacking cough. I don't know about you, but I can't stand the hacking call if it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming, right? That's the way our prayer life should be. It shouldn't stop. Regardless. Continually or without ceasing, whichever translation you want to read. Either way, it's a series of time, correct? You rejoice always, you pray continually. There is nothing about a constraint of time in that third command. It's all about circumstance. And he doesn't say, when things are good, give thanks. When things are bad, have a pity party. When I'm in stuff, I ain't all about being thankful for it. Y'all must not be like me this morning. Come on now. Are you? When you're in the middle of stuff, it, is it natural for you to be thankful? It's not natural. The Spirit of God may rise up in you and you may have a spirit of thankfulness, but it's not natural for you when you're in stuff to be thankful. And here we've got a time constraint, here we've got a time constraint, and here we have a circumstance. But the circumstance is in all circumstances, in everything. In all seasons, in all ups, in all downs, in all heartbreak, in all happy times. In everything, give thanks. How can you do that? Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, Because I'm rejoicing always and because my prayer is continual, hopefully I'm connected to the life source and I understand that he works all things for the good of those that love him. Amen. Although I may not feel like it when I'm in something, I ain't trying to thank him for nothing. Sure, I told you last week, There's times I can put, there's a certain song I put it on and I can just sit there and count my blessings and, and I'm so thankful for everything that he's given me. This is not talking about praying specific prayers. It's not talking about rejoicing a certain way. And it's not talking about giving thanks at certain times. It's living a lifestyle that is joyful, putting your flesh down deep so that the joy of the Holy Spirit can rise up through you. Praying a prayer, having a heart of prayer that begins from the time you wake up and ends, the time you go to bed. If we ever make it to that point where we can push all the distractions of our mind out, having a joyful life is the easy part. But it's not about giving thanks for anything. It's giving thanks in everything. And Paul's telling these people, change your heart. Have a grateful heart in every season, in every circumstance. Sure, I'm not thankful when something bad happens. I'm not really thankful. I'm not even really excited about the season that I'm in. But I can know that he works all things good for those that love him. And even though the season is terrible, I can be thankful I can give thanks in the circumstance because I know I'm going to come out the other side because he has no plan to harm me, but he has plans to prosper me and give me hope in the future. He said, in everything, give thanks. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says... And not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Do you glory in your tribulations? He said, we glory in tribulations knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. I can be thankful in my everything. Everything. Because even though it's a tribulation, it's producing something that's bigger, that is literally hope coming to me through the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? Rejoice. Pray and give thanks. I told you last week when we started this conversation that my goal, and you made the commitment with me, that we would look at a grateful, thankful heart different. And we talked about Christmas and we talked about how we as Christians. We'll celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth, the resurrection, the death of Jesus all year long when our culture celebrates it in December. But where I told you we got it flipped is where we should be different with the Thanksgiving season we've fallen in with the culture. And we wait till the season of, thank- we wait till November to figure out what it is that we're thankful for. Where are we at? Where are we living? What are we doing? We're not supposed to match the culture. We're not supposed to match the society. We're not supposed to match the commercialization. Thanksgiving is not a biblical holiday, it's a lifestyle. And I told you that my goal of this series of conversations is just to bring us back to a place where we step back and examine our hearts. And put our heart back in check that we don't wait for the Thursday when we splurge on turkey and ham and green bean casserole. We don't wait for that day to take time and slow down to be thankful for anything. But we live in thankfulness in every situation. The joy of the Lord resides within us. When we turn our hearts to a spirit of prayer, we push flesh down, the joy comes out. When the joy comes out, our hearts turn to a heart of thanksgiving. Would you bow your head with me, Father? Lord, we hear your word this morning. Lord, you're calling us to check ourselves, to check our heart. God, that in this season that we celebrate as a season of thanksgiving, Lord, we would take a step back and examine the rest of the year. Lord, and we would begin to ask ourselves, are we living this life of joy? Does joy overflow from within us? Do we have the spirit of prayer flowing throughout our day-to-day life? Is our heart in a place of prayer? Lord, we know that when our heart is in a place of continual prayer, the verbal words have to come out of our mouth. Lord, it's going to happen. God, but are we giving thanks in every circumstance? Lord, your expectations of us are not that we give thanks for every circumstance, but that we give thanks in every circumstance. Touch our hearts, Lord. Convict us, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.